where myself, Josh Heron, Christopher Munden, John Rosenberg, and that's it. Also, that's the three of us. We uh, <laughs> are reading every Pulitzer Prize winning play since 1918, so you don't have to, or so you will read along and join us. Um, like I said, my name is Josh Heron. I am a teacher and a theater critic, and I'm currently a little sick, um, not COVID. Uh, I think it's because I'm trying to go to the gym too much. I'm getting ripped. Um, um, Speaking of getting ripped, um, my favorite functional alcoholic, Christopher Munden. (laughs) Uh, I don't agree with that assessment. (laughs) Yeah, he's not functional. (laughs) (laughs) That's Uh, that's the part I disagree with. And my... uh, my favorite Disney uh, Disney dad, uh, John Rosenberg. Hiya, pal. It's me, Mickey Mouse. Um, and this week, we are reading 1965's Pulitzer Prize-winning play. The subject was Roses by Frank Gilroy, I believe. Let me make sure that's correct. Yes, Frank D. Gilroy. Um, and uh, John, why don't you give us a, a synopsis of this play? So uh, the play takes place in 1946 in the Bronx, um, and it tells the story of a young man named Timmy, whose name I forgot until you reminded me, who uh, just came home from serving overseas in World War II. And the play starts, it is the morning after his uh, welcome home party, and the two people there are he is staying with his parents, uh, John, who's the father, whose name I also forgot until he told me, and Nettie, who's the mom. And so the play really traces um, the son coming home from war, the expectations of his parents, of who he was, who he is now, and the collision of perceptions of who people are. Um, you see the... It's a family drama and it's done really, really well. And to me, it's not very heavy handed, but you see the son being a different person with each parent and defending each parent in their own way. There is, uh, there's a lot of tension between the husband and wife. Uh, It's mentioned a little bit, but um, really, you know, the husband obviously fucked around a lot. um, And the title of the play, the subject was Roses. The son, Timmy, after a night out with uh, the dad, basically brings home some flowers for the mom. The mom is really touched about it. The son, in an attempt to kind of boost up his dad, says that the father brought the roses home for the mom. The mom's like, oh, wow, thanks. That's really great. And then later, of course, in a fight between the father and son and mom, the father's like, I didn't bring you those fucking roses. He did. It was your idea. And so the play really kind of, drives towards this question of you know is the son gonna stay there's a battle between the parents of should he stay should he go and the play ends with the son deciding that he's gonna move out because if he doesn't he'll just never leave his parents house and it ends with him uh 
planning to move out, but not just yet. Well, it's the ending. Yeah, he uh, he says he's going to move out, and then he's kind of persuaded to stay a little while longer. So right. Yeah. Then the father's like, "No, you should go." Um, Chris, is there a way to for you to improve your audio? Become an American citizen. I mean, one of the things that I really liked about this play is. I um, I kept thinking I like sort of figured it out. Like, oh, this is the conflict. Um, and I feel like it like keeps like turning. And the conflict is that like, there's a dysfunctional family. Um, but what I like about it is I think at the first scene, you're like, the mom is the problem. Like this mom is like cloying and like annoying and uh, enabling and then like the like you like they're looking at that like I don't know a stone or something and then it turns over and you're like no that was a trick like the dad's the problem um, like the dad has been distant and ignores the wife and she's just trying to like support the, the kid and then like the next and you're like no it's the son like you're not being great like, and um, and I think when I first read it like it sort of seemed like a like a a cool trick to do that. But like, the more I think about it, the more I think that it's actually about how like, how like dysfunction families goes. Um, like it's never one person, right? Like, I mean, I guess in some very, very toxic situations maybe, um, but often in a family that toxicity will like have like spread to other people to like see the, you know, but I think just that like um, a toxic family dynamic is not like one person's thing, right? It's like a, it's an equation that we all, like contribute to and 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 sort of um, sort of let fester, um, and so I think that was really really neat as opposed to like and again a play I love but like Death of the Salesman where it's like clear that Willie Loman is like the problem and like that like that poor wife is just like martyred or um, or in um, Long Days Dreaming Tonight where you know. Well, I don't know. Maybe they're all actually like fucking crazy in that. Um, but I liked it, and I think because it was also such a small like nuclear family, um, like in some ways, and the son is like sort of anxious about like his like role. It felt very like contemporary um, as an only child. Um, like I could buy that, um, like with some tweaks that like Timmy is coming home from like Iraq, um, and, like with his like nuclear sort of like I guess like the I'm on tangent, but um, yeah, in many ways it, it felt pretty contemporary. Um, I think one of the things that is a little strange is it feels like it has, I'm curious about the timing of it um, as like right before, maybe, you know, like Vietnam had started um, um, and you're writing a play about like World War II, the Cold War is going. Um, so like why he decided to set it like in the past rather than a more contemporary moment. It's almost, uh, is my audio any better? A little better, it's a little mm -hmm. um, It's almost definitely autobiographical, or autobiographical, isn't it? Um, Timmy is the author. You think? I would 
Yes, definitely. I mean, it's Frank would probably Frank Gilroy would probably be at the right age. Timmy mentions that he's going to be a writer. This is him coming home from war. And his yeah, and how messed up. And how he talks about like his uniform and like the the only mention of combat is the when he says the thing about the first night he didn't sleep with his boots on. Mm-hmm. That's very very personal, and that's very like that's 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 a very small very. The author doesn't go out of his way to prove that he that it's real. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, there's no jargon. There's no like. There's no talk about it to prove that it's real. It's very very small, and it's very very real. Um, so yeah, I, I agree, Chris. That it definitely is very autobiographical. But to me, it doesn't read as a dysfunctional family. Um, because I, I think like what I appreciate about it is that it's not too heavy handed. And maybe that's a reason why like long days journey into night is more about an actual dysfunctional family. Mm-hmm. This family just feels very familiar and relatable. You know, I mean, they have their own battle scars, which is there was like a brother that died. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric, I think, and there's like the father's infidelity, but outside of those two scars, it's just a con. It's like it's very familiar to me of just the the allegiances and how like within a family unit, who you identify with or who you protect or defend constantly changes depending on the time of the day, the situation whether my mom bought me something earlier or she hasn't, you know, it's just very. So I think what keeps it from being a heavy drama is that it's not overly dysfunctional. I think um, so the Pulitzer weren't given for two years. Um, Previous to this, and one of those years, we probably talked about it, but uh, it was supposed to be given to all the jury picks who were afraid of the Jimmy Wolf. Um, so that would have won the year before, which feels similar to this in some ways. Sort of. Um, um, yeah. Like this is. I mean, I really like this play. This is like a coloring book. Um, like who's the Virginia Woolf is like I feel like direct like it is like about like like that is about two very specific like maybe not even real people um, like I don't I don't know I, I mean I, I haven't Chris you're gonna have to like speak into the microphone it's it's really pretty tough but, um, I'm gonna log off for a second something like okay. I mean, it is interesting what you say though about like who's afraid of Virginia Woolf because although it is a stunning and beautiful play, it's almost uh, it's almost intellectual masturbation. Like it's like in, in a very beautiful way, in the same way that masturbation is. But it's like uh, it's a game being played by these two people that love each other and also hate each other at the same time. Right. What I loved about this play is everyone is just completely ruled by their emotions and it's petty. And it's so it's, I love plays that really 
capture the pettiness and the short-sightedness of love and you know like the feeble attempts to i don't know it's like when the father and mom are arguing the first scene and what's interesting to me is like timmy so often exists or like in the play is just there to try to make things okay Mm -hmm. and that is just that's that's just heartbreaking instead of being like the shell shock son who's like back off motherfucker like it's there's something very uh there there's something beautiful about someone capturing the exhausting nature of never giving up in love i mean i do think that like i do agree i think timmy's a really tim is a like a very generous character right but it's interesting, like, with Martin Sheen playing it, like, it's weird because, you know, I associate, like, Martin Sheen with, like, Badlands oh. and Apocalypse Now, obviously. Yeah. And he usually just, there's a, uh, there's a rawness and a, just a, a violence to that dude. And so I imagine him almost trying to hold it in or something like that. I don't know. He, it's, I, when I was reading it, I was just really mind imagining Martin Sheen doing it. And yeah, I'd have loved to see him do it. Yeah, he was nominated for, I mean, this has a really interesting, um, I, I think it has a really interesting story in that it was a huge hit when it premiered. It won Pulitzer, it won the Tony. It, um, Jack Albertson won a Tony for playing the dad. Um, he beat um, out Martin Sheen. Um, and then... Uh, it was the New York Drama Circle Critics Award for Best Play, and it um, it lost. It was nominated but didn't win for Best Author and Best Director. Um, and then it hasn't really been revived since. In Los Angeles, maybe about 10 years ago, they did a revival, and Martin Sheen played the father, um, which I actually think is a, a, like, like that role makes, like, I can see that maybe a little bit more clearly. Um, but it also, it ran for a long time, made it a movie that was pretty much identical. I think it was done as like a made for TV movie a lot, but it hasn't been like, I had never heard of the play until. Um, yeah, I'd never heard of it either. But it's interesting because like at the end, the father says the thing about like, you know what? I've never said that I love you, right? Mm-hmm. And then, but then the son says, you know what? I've never said it either. Mm-hmm. And it's very beautiful that it's not a play about like, a son seeking a father's approval. Yeah. Like they're both, they both have the same thing. And it's just, it's, it's, it's very equal. This play, it's a very equal play to me. Well, I guess, and that felt maybe a little like idiosyncratic. Like that felt like, I don't know, like the relationship between the parents and the son felt a little out of like, out of time or like um, in that, like they go drinking together. They're like, they're having a ball. Like they have a very like, from what I would like consider a much more casual relationship with each other. Um, it's funny. Cause I also, I almost read it as put upon. Hmm. Can you say more about that? Well, to me, it's like Timmy tries so hard to make everything. Okay. That it's like, uh, it's almost like the, the thing about Biff and his brother and the, and hey, tomorrow 
kids, we're going to go down there and we're going to sell the athletic equipment or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, but it, to me, it permeates the whole play of like the son just wants the parents to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. The roses, they're from dad. Uh, let's go out drinking. Yeah. You want to see that ball game? Let's, let's do that. Like uh, it, it like he's trying. Yeah. I don't, it's, it's, I just feel like it was, must've been a very tense fucking play to watch, even right. though they're having, <clears throat> even though they're seemingly having so much fun on stage. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder where Chris went. Are you muted? It might be the police. Um, another interesting fact about Frank Gilroy, who I'd never heard before, um, he's written a whole lot of stuff. Um, this was sort of his most like acclaimed, but he's pretty prolific. But he has three sons. Um, all of them are very successful Hollywood sort of professionals. Um, one of his sons wrote the first four movies in the Born Identity like franchise. Whoa, Tony Gilroy? Yeah. Dude, Tony dude, Tony Gilroy, that's the son? Yeah. Holy shit, Tony Gilroy, he's good, man. He, he writes a lot of good stuff. And then it's Tony Gilroy. Um, let's see, Tony Hello. Gilroy. Hello? Yeah, hi, Dan Gilroy, who wrote or directed this movie called Nightcrawler. And dude, have you seen Nightcrawler? No. It is fan-fucking-tastic, dude. Well, his other son wrote and directed it. And John Gilroy is an editor for movies like Suicide Squad, Nightcrawler. I guess he does, he works with his brother, The Bourne Legacy, Pacific Rim, Michael Clayton. Uh, so his- yeah, Tony Gilroy, Tony Gilroy did uh, Michael Clayton. Oh, yeah. So they're all like the Gilroy. Dude, brothers. that's so cool. Wow. That's, I had no idea. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about Frank Gilroy's sons, Chris. They're all movie people. Yeah, they're all like pretty prolific movie people. Uh, which is interesting. Do you know Frank Gilroy at all apart from this? Um, so I was looking up, like Frank Gilroy has wrote many, many things, many screenplays, some of which were adaptations of his own work and many plays. Um, like, you know, it's one of those that has, his list is sort of endless. Um, this is really the only thing that ever got any like Tony attention or, or anything really. Um, there's some, there's some sort of cool stuff. There was like a Greek play adaptation that was set in an Italian neighborhood with Tyne Bailey. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Did either of you see the movie version of this? I didn't. You no, I didn't see it. Did you... Apparently it's pretty faithful. Yeah, yeah uh, Frank Gilbert Gilroy wrote the screenplay for this too. Obviously it's a movie, so like there's some some scenes take place, um, you know, not just in the apartment. Um, you see what the mother actually does on that day when she's missing. What did she do? I don't know if I like Nothing. That. She just, she goes for a walk on the beach, she eats in a restaurant alone. Um, <coughs> yeah, not a whole lot. Um, yeah, I liked it in, I liked it in the play how Right, the mother just, she takes her change that she's been saving and just like disappears 
for the night basically comes back late at night and she she says what she did but like it's not her saying what she did she's just like saying a story and you never really know what she did mm. although it doesn't really matter i mean i think what they show in the movie is basically what she did like nothing just like needed to get away and be her own person for a bit i forgot about that section i think i prefer it to be sort of ambiguous back to i mean i think the thing with like who's afraid of virginia wolf though is like if if john's saying that you can sort of see yourself in this family um i feel like who's afraid of virginia wolf is like yeah like it's like I mean, maybe you can see yourself in like the extremes of it, right? Um, yeah. Or they're like, they're like, but those characters are like so larger than life. Uh, Obviously, you haven't been in a heterosexual relationship. But, that's, <laughs> <laughs> but like, famously, like George and Martha, like, are not thought to be like really a heterosexual couple. Like, oh, is that right? I, yeah. Oh, I mean, like the the sort of the like the gay takeaway. On that is like well this is clearly like about two old queens who are like fucking hate each other um um and like the obvious like forever the like there have been lots of directors who have wanted to do a production of like with martha in drag and and the obvious state uh won't let them do it or to like make it a gay couple just for like uh, yeah he famously doesn't like people fucking with his plays does he yeah um, but that's long been a, a thing people have sort of um, thought and been interested in. Um, one day he will die. If he's he's, he's dead, dead already, he's dead. No, he's dead. Yeah, he's, he's pretty dead. recently dead though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the last like five, uh, like last ten years. Yeah. But I guess it's not going to go out of copyright for like forty-five years. So. Oh, well. um, no, I mean we've talked before about like themes of play just to, sorry just to be clear about that dude that dude was crazy about like even his name with associated with a play like i know that like titles it has to be edward albies and then the name of the title so like really? yeah he's crazy about like stuff beyond just you know the idea that he was against like casting outside of what he would find comfortable I think it's just a control thing having to do with all of his work. Like, he wrote a shitty, uh, uh, yeah, preview, like, no, prequel to Zoo's story. And later on in his life, if you wanted to put on Zoo's story, you had to put on the shitty prequel too. Yeah, and I think it had to be, it had to be uh, announced as Edward Albee's, whatever the name it was. Shitty prequel to Zoo's story. <laughs> um no like i don't know we themes in like drama themes and that we're seeing in the plays like um family and then institution politics you know this like i don't it's only two so maybe it's not um a pattern but like it fits like idea of the 1960s, this like kind of breakdown of a family dynamic, this this exploration of the, the dysfunction of the nuclear family is like, is interesting. Loss of the kids in both of them. I think like, um, or I guess in Virginia Woolf never really happens, but you know, 
that like dead kid motif is there. Um, it's funny because I actually have a different take on it, which is I I don't see this as like the dissolution of a family or like the dissolving of a family. To me, it's like uh, the enduring quality of a family that like. <sighs> Sure, I mean, the family perhaps endures, although I, the marriage is pretty fucked and uh, the kid is leaving home, probably never to return. But it's certainly like, it's not cherishing that family unit in the same that way we saw done earlier generations of playwrights. This is definitely like, it, family is fucked up. Maybe it stays together, maybe it endures, but it doesn't endure without flaws and certainly um, but to me but to me I, I was saying to josh when you were off like no one what i appreciate about this play is it is incredibly petty but at the same time no character ever gives up on the other one hmm. like they they keep returning to it and like even even though the mom makes the comment about the husband with the whatever philandering he did or whatever, and like her with her change or whatever, he was desperate to know where she went. Like he wasn't like whatever or fuck out. Yeah, like, he was. It might be like a control thing or something, but like I, it's funny. I really read this as a very sweet play. Yeah, no, I, I think so too. I think of it as a like as a very tender play, and I, I guess I think that like the son will absolutely come back. Like I think that like I think that he's sort of in it with them. Um. Yeah, and it's interesting. I like there there are some contemporary contemporary reviews of it that sort of thought of the play as sort of boilerplate boilerplate and like a little bit of like too soapy or kitchen sink drama, but I didn't find that at all. I mean, my my sort of tolerance for like melodrama and soap opera in this is pretty high. Um, but yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it quite a lot. Yeah, it was just done. Even if you say it's like a boilerplate play, it's just done really, really well. <laughs> so who would you, I guess there's other, is it just three characters? Just the three characters yeah. that I discuss. I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call this a boilerplate play, and I wouldn't. I would say it's one of the best plays we read. But I think what I like about it is it's it's truthful. It feels honest. It feels real, and that reality is is tragic and ugly, as well as beautiful. I don't think you can dispute that. Like. There's a lot of ugliness in the relationships. But that's like, I mean, that's true for most families. Sure. Uh, so we have to like cast ourselves in this play. We all have to have a, we have to have a role. Um, I mean, Chris, you're obviously Nettie. Oh yeah? I think I'm Nettie clearly. You're Nettie? Yeah, and I, I feel like John, I feel like you're Timmy. No, that's Chris. Chris, we're you and me are, are Chris's mommy and daddy. Yep. Hot. 
Um, John, maybe used to be Timmy, did you? Um, it, it, again, this is one of these plays that, that I identify with each character at different times. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Like, know what like the stuff about the mom, I like dream of just getting a night away. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. the same thing with Timmy, I just sometimes feel the desperate need to try to make everything okay with everybody. Um, and with the dad, I don't know. He's just, he's, <laughs> that guy, that guy's got a lot going on, man. You know, it's like, it's funny to me because it's like, I like that he didn't serve and like the son, it's not a macho play. Like, uh, the son's not there to like put the dad in his place or whatever. It's like, it's yeah, it's good. Man. It's definitely some of that though, that like the father feels the fact that he didn't serve and he always thought Timmy is like a mother's boy, a sickly boy. And like, right. Timmy went for and like liberated the concentration camps. And I don't know, fought the Nazis and, and he never did. And the first scene is like him trying on Tim's jacket. Mm. Yeah. yeah it's it's just done it's done really fucking well but like but it doesn't become a thing about a like tete with the father and the son no where the son is like blah 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 well i mean because no. you have like a, i think timmy's a very very like a very warm-hearted character so you like even when he's confronted with difficult people like there's a lot of love in in yeah. You know, in real life, the author was much more of a dick, but he wrote himself nice. Oh, uh, he must have battered his mother and father. <laughs> yeah. He's serious resentments there, and he was a good guy. Let, he's the one writing the play. Um, um, is there anything that you would like want to see in a really? I don't like. I, there's. I feel like I. A very straightforward production would yeah. play very well. Yeah, I I wish this play was done more at the expense of Virginia Woolf. Like, mm. this is a cool play. This is a this is a good play. I'm surprised I've never seen it. Yeah. And uh, you you did mention the production history, right? It's like not that much. When no, was... I mean the last the I mean the last major revival was in Los Angeles with Martin Sheen playing the father which i think is really cool oh nice yeah um but that was like 2010 2011 yeah hasn't been in new york recently i don't think it's ever been in philadelphia or not 20 years at least no um yeah this is a good play um there was that was it just anti-semitism that was good. Oh. I love that. That shit was so good. Oh, that was crazy. Wait, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. The dad like totally has a, like a melt axe up and has like an anti-Semitic like tirade. Right, because yeah, he's talking he about I assume he's talking about like the father Coglin records, where the father says he doesn't listen to those records anymore. Yeah, I mean that was definitely like a super right, Irish Catholic, super anti-Semitic house. But he also clearly did it to annoy Timmy. Like they had had that conversation before, and like Timmy wasn't cool with that. And Timmy like liberated the concentration camps. 
Yeah, which I guess that I, I come back to why that feels so modern is like that is exactly the type of like stuff my mom does with me. Of like she just being, says just being sort of an edge just to annoy you. Yeah, right. And then I'll be like, Mom, you can't say that. And she'll be like, I'm old, whatever. Um uh just like push my buttons. Um but I think the thing to remember, or my opinion is like what I love is that people are so short-sighted and emotional when they do things they're not do you know what i mean it's like the dad's doing it but i don't feel like he's in control of what he's doing while he does no, no, no. i don't feel like any of them in control and i love it yeah no i agree with that but yeah i forgot about it. it's just such beautiful anti-semitism in a play yeah it would be tough to do now but i don't know like josh says Why? like that yeah that is like well, because people Oh, I don't... think that I think that would actually get some laughs now. Probably more laughs would. would then. It would, but like the father isn't punished for it. Nowadays, like you put that in a play, the character has to get punished or has to have like a realization. Maybe it's enough of a realization that like he's but just the doing thing is, but the father, the son, the but, like, backs, but the father backs off of it, which is like he does back so... off of it. And he does it in a way where, like, right, what I said, like, the thing is, like, well, I don't listen to those records anymore. Like, there's a desperation to, like, everyone wants to be okay with the other one in a way, and at the same time, not. And it's like a, it's a, it's an exhausting, uh, it's that same exhausting feeling that I feel, like, when I spend a lot of time with my family. Where it's I agree like that, that it's really well done and like works very well in the play and feels real and and feels right. I'm just saying for like a modern dramaturge or uh, director or like artistic director choosing a season like right, right. that's gonna put them off this play. It just is because right they don't yeah people don't. Um, people don't I've had this conversation before like they don't um, they don't want to show that the world is racist and flawed they really don't they don't want to they don't want to show that like normal people are that like that like um, that like people are fucked up and like that's the whole problem with the world um it has to be like a character has to be a racist or not a racist, and they have or they have to be like they have to have an arc to them. Um, yeah, it can't just be like this guy is unreconstructed and and that's a part of his personality, it's, but it doesn't define him. It's certainly a flaw of his. Yeah, I'll get off my table. <clears throat> so next week we are <laughs> two years to nineteen fifty-seven for the Albert Albi play that does win Delicate Balance, and we decided we talked a little bit about it today, but I'm hoping that we can read both of Virginia Woolf and Delicate Balance and sort of talk about both. Uh, yeah, I'll at least I should read it. I'll at least watch the movie. I'd like to see that movie again. Oh, I love that movie so much. Um, which one? Which one's a delicate balance? 
it's another is it two couples again it feels very i mean a lot of edward albee's plays are you know variations on themes i think it is something very similar um yeah i think um yeah i've seen it i think it's like two couples one like well that does that's Virginia Woolf. Can it be two couples, one visiting another one's house? The uneasy existence of upper middle class suburbanites, Agnes and Tobias, and the permanent house guest, Agnes's witty and This is the one where it starts there. and like the people show up and they're just they're scared of something outside that's just there. Is described by the sudden appearance of a lifelong family friend, Harriet Edna, fellow MD Lester's with free floating anxiety who has to stay with Yeah, dude. Oh yeah, this shit's fucking an unnamed terror. <laughs> yeah. It's good, man. This shit's fucking funny. Yeah. Cool. I'm excited. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I, I forget what it's about, but it's about that. Oh, yeah. This play has a brutal fucking monologue at the end about husband and wives and the husband saying, you know, you're the one who fucking makes all the fucking decisions and the wife pulls the pulls this card about yeah dude this shit fucking made a huge fucking effect on me when i was young man yeah i remember this motherfucker that's funny. A good I, fucking have, I have a i have a very visceral memory of who's pretty virginia wolf being the first play i've ever saw that like left my stomach in knots for a couple days after um yeah all right well with that can't wait for that uh little twosome of dysfunction uh we'll say good night Good night. Good night.